Judges chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Judges 2, 1 and 2. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We have a number of our own members away. It is as... Brother Tim said a moment ago, it is vacation season, and so we want to remember them as they travel, and we want to encourage each of us in the summer months to continue to be faithful to the Lord, to strive to the best of our ability to not let the work of the church lapse in our lives as we rest and relax during this period of time. We're going to be looking today in our study at Judges chapter 2. We're going to be talking about the theme as we look at this particular book in the Bible. You can't win when God is against you. Imagine individuals choosing to live without God in their lives. It is unfortunate that there are any number of people in our society today that feel as if they can prosper and enjoy peace, happiness, and serenity without God. And yet I believe and I would recommend that the Christian life, choosing to live for God, is the most satisfying way to live in life. And I believe that Judges chapter 2 bears that out. And so as we look at chapter 2, we're going to be talking about the theme, you can't win when God is against you. The first thing that I would call your attention to as we look at this particular chapter has to do with the charge given to Israel. And first of all, I want you to note the demand, the instructions that were given to these people. In chapter 2 at verse 1, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant or treaty with the inhabitants of this land, you shall tear down their altars. You can go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 7 and you'll find the background for these verses set forth by Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And God had told them that when he brought them into the land of Canaan, that they were to drive out the pagan nations surrounding them that they were not to engage in any covenant relationships with these people. They were not to intermarry. They were to have no associations with them. They were to tear down their altars. But note, if you would, their disobedience or their insubordination. In verse 2, the latter part, here's what God said. But you have not obeyed my voice. 
Why have you done this? What a searing question. To think that here were the people of God. Joshua, as you know, was the successor to Moses. And Joshua had been given instructions to lead the people into the promised land. He would ultimately divide the land, allotting certain sections of land to the varying tribes. And they were to carry out the will of God in this respect. And yet God said, look, you have not obeyed my voice. And then he asked the question, why have you done this? And so we think about the insubordination of the people. And so in verse 3 he said, therefore I also have said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And that was one of the reasons why God said you were not, that they were not to intermarry, because by intermarrying with these pagan people, ultimately they would be corrupted. Now, having said that, look in the second place at the carelessness of Israel. And here we think about their departure. There are some statements made in verses 6 through 10 that I believe are remarkable, particularly in light of the leadership of Joshua. Joshua is described as a servant of the Lord. God had said that he would be with him, that he would not forsake him back in Joshua chapter 1. And God had promised, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And so Joshua sought to, dis to discharge the responsibilities entrusted unto him with faithfulness. And I think that his leadership was such that the writer here tells us that God's people maintained a sense of faithfulness throughout the duration of Joshua's life as well as the elders who outlived Joshua himself. But when you drop down to verse 11, you read of the departure of the children of Israel. The first thing I want you to notice is that they failed to live right. Listen to what the writer said. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Why was this? Well, in verse 10, the Bible says, When all that generation had gathered to their fathers. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. The problem primarily was God's people failed to teach and instruct their offspring. And because of that you had another generation arriving on the scene that were totally illiterate in the word of God. They simply did not know what God said, nor did they know what God had done in the past. And so, verse 11, the children of the Lord, the children of Israel, did evil in his sight. In verse 12, they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. They bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Look at verse 14, or verse 13 rather. They forsook the Lord and served Baal. And so what, what was going on? Well, God's people 
became entangled in idolatry. And so ultimately, they failed to live right, to live acceptably in the eyes of God. And really, when you want to sum that up, it was due to carelessness on their part. There are people today that are careless with their spiritual lives. And in so doing, what happens? Well, sometimes they fall away. They forsake the Lord. They become unfaithful to His cause. But I want you to see, not only did they fail to live right, but they failed to listen responsibly. Drop down now if you would. Note verse 16. In verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way by which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. All right, what's going on? Well, if you read the book of Judges, you'll see that there's really a cycle that, that runs throughout the book. God's people will be faithful for a period of time. They will become unfaithful. God will raise up an oppressor. They will ultimately cry out, and then he will raise up a judge to deliver them. They'll live faithful for a period of time, and then they will go back to their old ways, to their unfaithfulness. But verse 17 says, they would not listen to their judges. Now God, in the goodness of his heart, sent these judges to deliver the people, to care for the people, to encourage them to do what was right. And yet they did not have, that is the children of Israel, by and large, did not have enough respect for God to listen to these men of God. So, what's going on? Well, number one, they failed to live right. Number two, they failed to listen responsibly. Number three, in looking at Judges chapter 2, we read now of the calamity of Israel. And really what we're talking about now is the distress that they find themselves under. Note, if you would, verse 14. We're going to be talking about the consequences of their actions. And bear in mind that Paul taught this truth in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 7. He said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a principle that is true in the natural realm. That same principle is true in the spiritual realm. Those who sow to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Those who sow to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. So, verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. So that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Now look at verse 15. Wherever they went or wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Now, hold that passage and turn back to the 
to the book of Leviticus with me for just a moment. And look at Leviticus chapter 26 at verse 14. Because here you have the backdrop to what God is saying to the children of Israel on this occasion. In Leviticus chapter 26 at verse 14, God said, But if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if, you, if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Now listen to verse 17. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Now there are other verses in this chapter that we could read, but we'll just pause there or stop there because of time. But the point to press is this. God said, if you disobey me, if you fail to keep my covenant, to walk in my ways, I will set my face against you. In other words, I will disapprove of your actions and thus you shall reap the consequences of this. Now over in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 12, there is an interesting passage of scripture that we find Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I said just a moment ago, you can't win when God is against you. That was a very difficult lesson that ancient Israel needed to learn. There was absolutely no way that they would win when God was against them. God said, I will set my face against you. Now you and I, we might ask the question today, how would that apply to us? Well, let's just think about a couple of things. First of all, from an individual standpoint, what about our homes? The psalmist said in Psalm 127 at verse 1, except the Lord build the house they labor in vain who build it now I know that there are a lot of people in our society today they think that they can establish their home without God they have the idea that they can run their ship and that they do not need God included in their lives in their plans well, the Bible says except the Lord builds the house they who labor, labor in vain. I think about people in our society today who are taking three steps forward and two steps backwards. And it is a reoccurring cycle over and over and over again. They wonder why things are falling apart in their marriage. They wonder why they lack communication. They wonder why they're not on the same page. I said just a moment ago, you can't win when God is against you. If you do not have God's approval in your life, you're going to have continual problems. It's going to be an uphill battle 
I look around and I see young couples getting married today. I see families that are having problems. And many of those problems are linked to their failure to honor what the Word of God says. Think about the number of people that have been married and divorced and remarried any number of times. And they will tell you they are not happy, they are not satisfied, they've not found their fulfilling purpose in life. Why? Because what they're learning is you can't win when God is against you. Look at, look at some of our homes in our country today. We were talking about in Bible class. That many of the problems that our nation is experiencing today are directly linked to the home. And the reason is because as parents, by and large, we are not teaching our children about Almighty God. The Apostle Paul said, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Ephesians 6 at verse 4. What was going on in the history of Israel? Parents were not teaching their children. They had been instructed by God in Deuteronomy chapter 6 to teach them diligently in the law of God. And yet in our society today, young people do not respect authority in many, in many realms. We see young people today who are abusing their bodies with drugs and alcohol and sexual relations. We see young people who are getting in trouble with the law. Why? It's because mothers and fathers, mamas and daddies have not done their job in the home. And what they don't understand is you can't win when God is against you. If you're not doing what God has said to do, you're never going to win. You're not going to find the peace and the happiness and the serenity that you will find by living in accordance with the will of God. Ancient Israel, they had to learn this a hard way. But then also, what about from the vantage point of our health? We talk about our homes, but think about how conscious our society is with regard to physical health. And I really believe that this cuts two ways, spiritual and physical health. You can't win when God is against you. If you're not taking care of your body, you're going to face some difficult times in the future. I can't tell you the number of people that I visited in the hospital who have abused their physical body. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. It is to be holy. It is to be acceptable in His sight. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That we are to glorify God in our body. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul talks about how bodily exercise profits a little. Why do we go to the gym? Why do we run? Why do we work out? Because we want to make sure that our body is physically fit. If you don't take care of your body, physically speaking, if you don't care for this body, you're going to pay a terrible price. You can't win when God is against you. You can't go out and drink and smoke and do dope and abuse your body. You can't mistreat this physical body that God has blessed you with. And I would include in that 
the propensity of many in our society today to overindulge at the table. When we do those things, we are abusing our physical body. And God said, you can't win when I'm against you. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who don't like to hear that. But it's a fact. Did you know that in our country, obesity will one day become one of the leading killers? That ought to be a wake-up call to our society. Now, I like to eat. All of us like to eat. But again, taking care of this physical body. What about from a spiritual perspective? If I'm not taking care of my spiritual life, and by that I mean if I'm not spending time in the Word of God, if I'm not meditating and studying and trying to the best of my ability to know what God's Word has to say to me, I'm going to have a lot of trouble, spiritually speaking. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Spiritual growth is a byproduct of spending time in God's word. And Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. Are you growing spiritually? Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you growing as Jesus did in wisdom, in favor with God and man? I think about people today who are drifting in their spiritual lives, who do not know the fundamentals of the faith, who are not worshiping God regularly, who are not involved in the work of God on a regular basis. They are at sea drifting. And ultimately, what they need to understand is you can't win when God is against you, when God disapproves of your conduct. One other thing that I would point out, when we talk about individual consequences to living contrary to the will of God, it has to do with our happiness. Everybody in our Everybody in our country, in our society, they want to be happy. And I believe that God wants us to be happy. But also I believe that there are a number of people that are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. They think that what's going to make them happy and ultimately give them a sense of purpose in life is power. Here's what Jesus said. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. There are people in our world today, they think that if they can get just a taste of power, that that's going to make them happy in life. That's not going to make them happy. As a matter of fact, power is not the pill that's going to make your life come together. And then also there are those who think that if, if their pocketbook is growing, becoming fatter, that's going to make them happy. And yet Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And then there are those who think that pleasure, that pleasure is somehow going to 
to give them a sense of purpose in life. It's going to bring them a, a sense of satisfaction in life. The Hebrew writer talks about, in the long ago, the pleasures of sin. And he links that to this phrase, for a season. Pleasure is temporary. There are people in our society today, they think if they can have power, if their pocketbook is enlarging, if they can maximize pleasure, that everything's going to fall into place. And what they don't understand is they can't win. You and I, we cannot win if God is against us. If God disapproves of how we're living. If what we're focusing on. Now very quickly, from a national vantage point, and I do not want to sound like a broken record, but at the same time, I think that, that one of the best ways to teach is repetition. When we look around in our country today, our country would do well to remember or to realize this fact, this principle. You cannot win if God is against you. And let me just say very plainly, we have done our best as a society of people to move God out. The evidence is in. We are doing everything that we can as a society and as a nation of people to move God out of our lives. Solomon said, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. Proverbs 14, verse 34. Think about how we have done our best to move God out of our schools. I mentioned in a previous lesson, when I was growing up, I went to a public school. We had Bible every week. One day a week, we had Bible in a public school. In the sixth grade, they gave you a copy of the New Testament. We had school prayer. We would come together as a body of people and we would read the Bible. The very first psalm that I ever committed to memory was Psalm 100. And I, I said that psalm in front of the entire student body. And yet today we've, we've moved God out of our school systems. We have removed Him from our textbooks. Today, it's no longer God who is our creator. It is that we are the products of evolution. And what our country needs to understand is we will never win when God is against us. Never. And then also I would suggest not only have we moved God out of our schools, we have moved him out of our government. I would encourage you to look at some of the national monument, monuments and some of, the, some of the important centers in our country. Go to Washington and note the buildings in which are inscribed verses from the Bible. Think about how our country was founded by individuals who had a deep and abiding belief in Jehovah God. Not in Islam, but in Almighty God. And you tell me where we are today. Look at, look at the currency that we use on a daily basis. In God we trust. Do we really trust in God?
Does our nation really and truly believe in Almighty God? You know, if we don't believe in God and if we want to expunge Him from our lives, then we ought to at least have the decency to remove His name from our currency. Either we trust in Him, we believe in Him, we're going to try to live according to His Word, or we're not. You can't win when God is against you. And then from a moral vantage point, look at how as a nation of people, we have expunged Almighty God from our moral lives. Look at the, look at the indecency, the immorality, the profanity, the irreverence that is ongoing in our media. That's being piped into our homes via the television. That's on the radio that's in our magazines. And let me tell you, even on our television programming, there are subtle shots taken at Almighty God on a regular basis. They're very subtly attacking the very foundation upon which you and I live today. They're attacking the foundation and the fiber of God and His Holy Word. And I believe that from the West Coast to the East Coast, from the North to the South, people need to wake up and realize the solemn fact you can't win when God is against you. God said in the long ago to the nation of Israel, I will set my face against you. Here's the question we need to ask in our country today. Do we really want God against us? Here's the question we need to ask individually. Do we really want God against us? If he disapproves of our behavior, if he's not pleased with the way we're living, is he for us or against us? You make the call. In closing, let me say, you and I, we can, we can be a voice for good in this world. We can be a change for the betterment of our society. It begins individually with us. Taking to heart the words of Jesus when he said, We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It begins with us training and teaching our children in the home. It begins with us practicing what we preach on a daily basis. Maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. We want to encourage you to come to Christ. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To do as Peter did when he said in the long ago, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you have that kind of faith? Would you be willing to repent of every sin, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3? Would you confess his name before others and be baptized for the remission of your sins, as Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38? Would you then live faithfully until death, Revelation 2.10? If you're here today, you're unfaithful. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come back to Almighty God who loves you, who wants you to be saved? Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?